Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Today we continue to read from 1 Timothy, today chapter 6. The scripture is uh, in your uh, bulletin, or you may turn there in your own Bible as we begin with verse 6, and of course the words will be on the screen as well. I invite you to hear these words of scripture. These are some of my favorite, uh, where Paul gets a little um, poetic, uh, kind of almost sounds like the Proverbs a little bit, uh, as he reflects on the Christian life and and teaching uh, Timothy, what it will mean to shape the lives of of the future uh, church leaders. And so I invite you to hear hey guys can you change the background there on the slides so that the words come through somebody in the sound booth back there thank you there we go all right i invite you to hear these words of scripture uh, written by paul to timothy and and shared with us today of course there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment for we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation or trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, for which you were made. The good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus and his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. He who is blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, it is he alone who has immortality and dwells in an approachable light, whom no other has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And as for those in this present age who are rich, command them not to be haughty or set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous, ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. May God bless our reading of the Holy Scriptures and let us say together, Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we give thanks today for the life that really is life. We pray, God, that we would come to know this joy in our own lives, that we would turn again our hearts and our minds toward your grace as it shapes our lives according to your will. May the reading of Scripture, maybe the sharing of my word would help help us to further know you today. This is our prayer and our hope in Christ's name. Amen. When I think about telling my own faith story, the own, my own journey in Christianity, uh, I have to mention a couple of people that were so important to me in my home church. Their names were Chris Lehman and Del Weed. Chris Lehman and Del Weed. I remember them so well because they were some of the first people when I was old enough to have some more consciousness about what was going on in church and some interest about church. They were two of the first people who really took time to share their life with us as youth and as middle school, junior high students. 
Chris Lehman, I remember meeting with him. My home church burned when I was in junior high. I've mentioned that before. And so we met in the community center for a while. We met in the Assembly of God church for a while as we were building another church. And so I have real distinct memories of meeting with Chris in the Assembly of God church in one of the classrooms down the hallway. He was the first person, maybe sixth or seventh grade, who had really sat down with us in a, in a sort of serious way and taught us to open our Bibles, to think about what's going on in Scripture, to, to encourage us to follow Jesus with sincerity. I don't remember the content of the lessons, right? I don't remember exactly what he taught or said, but, but I remember the sincerity. I remember the thoughtfulness, the care. Chris means so much to me in terms of my own faith development. The same could be said about Del Weed. Del was a little bit of a different guy. I remember at the time, I thought he was humongous. I think he was 6'3 or 6'4. He had these massive forearms. He worked as a machinist by day, so he was kind of a tough dude. He drove, drove this big old three-quarter ton diesel that just roared out of the church parking lot. He was not the sort of guy that you would think would be a great you know, youth volunteer. He wouldn't have that sort of look about him, and yet he did such a great job with us. He prepared Sunday school lessons with intentionality and care. And I remember so many Sundays, uh, as youth are wont to do, uh, bringing to him hard questions, difficult questions, even arguing sometimes, right, as a little uh, 15-year-old sometimes uh, likes to do with an adult. Uh, but he was so patient, so loving, and so kind. Of course, I had excellent pastors as well growing up, but the people that I really remember serving and who cared for me were, were the church members, the lay people, as we call them in our tradition, the laity the same could be said about my parents. Of course, my parents are laity. I remember my mom worked tirelessly with Vacation Bible School through the years. My dad worked with us as teenagers and as youth. He was the one that helped to introduce me and my brother to OMP. And so when we tell the stories of our life and the stories of our faith and the stories of our church involvement, I suspect you, like me, if you told the story of how you grew up in church, how you came to be at church, it would include giving thanks for lay people giving thanks for Sunday school teachers and youth volunteers and Bible study leaders and people who cared for you and called on you in a difficult time, people who brought food to your house when you were in a, a trying circumstance. It is often the lay people, the church members, who do some of the most serious and important work in the church. And today is a day to recognize and celebrate that to be true. We're reading from 1 Timothy, uh, as we have the last few weeks, and we will for the next few weeks. One of the elements in 1 Timothy that gets the most attention, if you were to read not just 1 Timothy, but 2 Timothy as well, if you were to do a, you know, kind of a Bible study, a sort of more academic study, uh, one thing that comes out in 1 and 2 Timothy is Paul's concern for the structure of the church. And we don't really get that in the other letters, in Romans and Thessalonians, Corinthians. We get more of this kind of pragmatic, like what's happening on the ground? What's the problem? How can we solve it? What does it mean right now? But in First and Second Timothy, we get this kind of bigger picture. Like what's the future of the church look like? Like how do we go from these little communities of faith that are meeting in people's homes? How do they begin to govern themselves and organize themselves? And we get a lot of that in First and Second Timothy. That's one reason we think, perhaps, that these letters were written later in Paul's life. Maybe Paul has been ministering now for 15, 20, 30 years. Maybe he's at the end of his own professional life, his own ministry life, and so he's beginning to think or have some concern about what the shape of the church will be like in the future. And so that's part of what we're reading today. There's kind of a twofold thing happening as we're reading chapter 6. Paul is writing to Timothy about his own life of discipleship, his own life of faithfulness. But he's writing to Timothy about the shape of the church. And so you can kind of hear in Paul's imagination, like, how is the church going to survive? What's it going to mean for this minority movement to hold together and to flourish and to grow into the future? 
And so I just highlighted some of my favorite phrases that we get from this reading in 1 Timothy 6. And again, it's one of my favorite readings in all of Scripture. That first line is, is great. These are, these are the sort of verses you might want to memorize or you might put on a post-it on, in the bathroom or, or something like that, right? These are verses of encouragement and care. There is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. Great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Now that in, enough, that in itself is sort of a whole sermon. There's plenty to chew on there, right? Uh, the, word, the, the way that I've heard it sometimes put is, uh, you've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul on the back of it? Have you heard that expression, right? That's sort of what Paul's saying here. There's great contentment in knowing where our, our future life lies, right? And if we have this confidence in our faith, if we are comfortable understanding where our life is going, where our afterlife is going, if we, if we are believers in the resurrection then we can be content in this world knowing that we brought nothing into this world we're not going to take anything out of this world our hope in this life and in the next life is is God's grace alone now what Paul does is he begins to to kind of outline what he sees as maybe the tension for the church and and probably it was true in the first century it's true today and so you heard as I was writing, he's, he's encouraging Timothy to encourage the church to place their, their life in godliness and contentment over and against this kind of rat race of economic pressure and success. And you can hear Paul say that two or three times in those verses today, right? He senses that there are people who are pursuing riches, who are pursuing power, pursuing the kind of world's vision of success. And Paul senses, even in the first century, that's going to create a lot of challenges and tension for the church. If you're constantly wanting more and more, if you're constantly trying to achieve more and more by your own will, by your own hard work, through your own career, if life is just about accumulating all that you can, well, that's, that's going to make it kind of hard to follow Jesus. And so what Paul says is you've got to be aware that these riches around us, they seem so seductive and they seem like a good idea, right? We want to have all these things, but they're, they're really pretty hollow because... You brought nothing into this world, and you can take nothing out of it. And so instead, Paul says you ought to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Do not be haughty concerning the uncertainty of riches, but instead do good. Be rich in good works, generous, ready to share. Store up for yourselves treasures of a good foundation for the future, and take hold of life that really is life. What Paul's describing in these verses that we read today, Paul is describing a church member. This is a lay person. What sort of people will make up the church? Well, it'll be people like this. People who pursue godliness and contentment. People whose lives are marked by righteousness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. People who are, are weary about the uncertain riches of this world, but instead are committed to the riches of God. Committing themselves to good works, sharing with others. And Paul's catchphrase for this whole section is a phrase I love. He says, this is the life that really is life. This is the life that really is life. That so many of us have been sold false versions, right? We've been sold lies about success and power and, and greed and, and, and all the things that, that look like a good life. Paul says that's not really the good Christian life. The good Christian life is one like this. Godliness and contentment, righteousness, faith, endurance, committed to good works. This is the life that really is life. And so Paul charges Timothy to, 
to spread this good news, to offer this message, this encouragement. And so we, we share in it again today. Through Paul, through my words, through Susie's words, this is the invitation. Be weary of the uncertain riches of this world. Instead, commit yourself to the life that really is life, godliness and contentment. You heard Susie share some, and I want to highlight, of course, today uh, all the, the things that you do as a church and recognize the ways in which we work together as pastors and staff. Now, of course, the pastors have certain professional obligations, right? We've been trained. We've been ordained. We come to you from the bishop, from the cabinet, from the conference, and we, we're told to take care of word, sacrament, order, and service. So word is like preaching and teaching, sacraments, communion, and baptism. Order is like how the church functions, and of course, service. We serve along alongside you but word sacrament order and service that does not hardly capture all that the church does and so we have so many people who work alongside the pastors we have the staff we really ought to have a staff appreciation day as Susie said because Denise and Caroline really run the church I mean they are awesome Denise manages the finances and the building issues and the calendar and the membership roles Caroline does so much now with technology as our technology and communications needs have grown she's really grown to to learn more and more about that of course, we have Brian and Bernard, we have Angela and Mike. We have a wonderful staff who help to care for and guide the church. And yet, most of the, the best work the church does, the most fun, exciting, the most interesting, the most inspiring work that the church does, it's not done by the pastors or even the staff. It's done by you all. And that's not just true for our church, that's true for all churches. Churches are strongest where their laity are strongest. It is where your gifts and graces and strengths shine through that our church really shines. And so here are just a few examples from the last year. Susie mentioned a few of them as well. We had an awesome vacation Bible school this year, uh, again, due in large part to the work of the church. Uh, I just sort of walk around and play with the kids. I don't really even know what's going on in terms of the planning. You all take care of all of that. It's fantastic. We had a great week of Ozark Mission Project. Uh, uh, so inspired by that. That means a lot to me. And so I worked hard that week, but it was a small army of volunteers from projects to construction to food that helped make that happen. Ready, Set, Read, the same could be true. This is an awesome ministry. I mean, it's kind of a flagship program of our church working on literacy efforts in our community. Almost entirely volunteers who come and share that week together. We do other things, of course, at the Witt House. That's a flagship for us. We now have that little library out there. The fifth and sixth graders worked on that a whole lot. We have some other pictures of the children working for OMP flowers. And even our youth just this week served our meal at Connect Wednesday. There's a great picture of Kinley. And uh, who's that? Is that a Hobbs there in front? Yeah, so very good. Uh, they worked so hard Wednesday night, which is just one of the many times that they serve our church. You may not know, but, but a small group of people work here on something called uh, Cookies and Communion. And so every uh, month we go out to the chateau and we share in worship with about 15, uh, mostly ladies, but not exclusively ladies there. Some are our church members and some are not. Uh, Chase and I go and we shake hands and we say a little prayer. We have communion. <coughs> Chase sometimes sings. Uh, and then we share in, in cookies. It's a great moment. It's like juice and bread and then uh, coffee and cookies, right? Like which one's the communion? It doesn't really matter, right? It's all sort of happening at the same time. There are volunteers that do that. Lay people in the church make that happen. Chase and I just sort of show up and enjoy it. The Withhouse is really a flagship ministry of our church. And I hope you are seeing, we even had a, a report on the news this week about the demand, the increased demand in terms of food insecurity in our community. And I can't say this Clear enough, the Whit House is entirely run by our church members, our lay people. 
Chase and I occasionally check in. They sometimes bring to us concerns or questions, but, but we do not run it by, by any means. We have folks like uh, Jim and uh, who is that? Is that a uh, John? Yeah, Jim and John who work tirelessly among many others uh, feeding really desperately hungry people in our community. When I say the best and most interesting and most inspiring work of our church is done by you all, I'm, I'm being serious. And so today, we just want to say as pastors and as staff, thank you uh, for all you do to serve your church, uh, Sunday school teachers, children's leaders, youth leaders, uh, prayer group, uh, bereavement meals. I mean, I, there's, there's no way I could sort of say it all. Hospitality people, ushers, greeters, communion stewards. Uh, there's so many things that so many folks do to make our church uh, work, to make our church go. Uh, and we are very much uh, in debt to you for all you do to serve our church and to work alongside of us. And so that's our goal today is simply to say uh, thank you and to say that we are at our best when you are at your best. But of course, I want to add the sort of pastoral word alongside that. The reason that you serve so well, uh, I think, uh, the reason that you serve so well uh, can be sort of summarized partly in what Paul is saying here in 1 Timothy 6. That service toward your church does not just come out of a hard work or good intentions. Service toward your church and your community is rooted in this, what Paul tells Timothy. Godliness and contentment. Godliness and contentment leads to life that really is life. In other words, what Paul is telling Timothy, I mean, it's, it's 2,000 years old and yet it is still so true today. Like, like if you are constantly caught up in the rat race of the world then you won't be content, right? You'll have anxiety, fear, you'll have anguish, you'll have these sort of unfulfilled desires. But if you can grow toward godliness and contentment, contentment, being content with, with who you are, with where you live, being content with your, your role in this world, godliness, seeking to, to follow Jesus faithfully and with love and grace and kindness, if you can grow in godliness and contentment, then that makes you an excellent channel, a conduit, of God's work in the world. Sunday school teacher, children's volunteer, Whithouse volunteer, usher, communion steward. When your heart is marked by godliness and contentment, then it comes sort of natural to serve your church and to be put together, to be put to use by God. Tonight at our church council meeting, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this. This is part of my little talk tonight that I'll do as we wrap up the meeting. We know all these areas where we really shine, where we're really strong, some of the things that we've lifted up today. And so something I'm wondering as your pastor is like, where is the next thing? Like, what's the next thing we're going to do well, right? We know we do these eight or ten things well, but there's probably some other things out there that we could learn to do well as, as well, as well, well as well. There's some other things that we could learn to do well too. How's that? There may be some other leaders within our church, some other servants within our church that just haven't found their thing yet, right? That those things we do well, they're not quite their thing, but there is a thing for them. And so one thing I'm thinking about in the next few months, in the next year, in the next years is not only the strengths we do have, but where will some new strengths arise? Where else might we grow to serve one another and to serve our community? And the invitation isn't just to be a more active church. It isn't just to be a, a larger church or a growing church. Those things are great. But really, this is the invitation. Come and be a part of church. Share in the life of the church. Serve among the church. Have your life marked by this sort of godliness and contentment. And I can promise you what you will find here, as Paul says, is life that really is life. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we do give thanks that you have made us part of the church. 
not just any church, but this church. And we give thanks for one another. We as pastors give thanks for our church members. We give thanks for our staff. We give thanks for our shared ministry, for the work of your Spirit among us, guiding us to godliness, contentment, showing to us the joy of a life that really is life. God, continue to inspire us, continue to mark our lives by gratitude for one another and for all that you have done here in this church. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparagold.org. May God bless you this week.